Good morning. We are going to be looking at um, a number of passages this morning. Our main passage is Matthew 27, 15 through 26, as we go through, uh, as we continue on in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, but we'll get to that in just a minute. <clears throat> Some years ago, uh, a group from Calvary Bible Chapel decided that we wanted to witness in a unique way, and so we uh, uh, purchased or rented a booth at the Zucchini Festival in Hayward. I don't know why people have a festival for zucchinis, but they did, or they do. And uh, we had a booth, and uh, we set up a space there so we could share the gospel with crowds of people that came to the festival. And we decided that uh, we would have this large highlighter yellow uh, sign with black lettering that read, are you good enough to go to heaven? Take the test. And people literally lined up to take the test. I, we were surprised, but they, they came almost with the attitude that um, they're going to prove to us that they were good enough to get to heaven. And so when we would ask them uh, what their basis of getting into heaven was, most people said what? I keep the Ten Commandments, okay? Almost everybody said something like that. I keep the Ten Commandments. And so when we would ask them the simple question, what are the Ten Commandments? Most people couldn't name but two or three, and that was it. And you say, well, you're hoping to base your entire eternity on keeping ten, and you can't even name three. But let's just do what we did at the Zucchini Festival and uh, ask you some of the questions of the Ten Commandments. And I want to ask you this morning to be honest with yourself. Have you ever lied? Okay. In, the, in the Ten Commandments, the, the lie is perjury. It's do not uh, swear deceitfully or do not... Uh, perjure yourself, but it's really, do, do not lie. How are you doing on the Ten Commandments? Okay, you failed. Right. So, if you have lied, what does that make you? A liar. Okay, now, then now you're getting a little squirmy, okay? To say that I've lied sounds almost acceptable, but to say now, I'm a liar, but that's what we are. If we've lied, we are liars. And so we would ask that question at the Zucchini Festival of people that came in. Have you ever lied? Yes. What does that make you? And they'd go, a liar. And they'd look down. And then we say, well, let's get to the next commandment. And we didn't do these in order. Um, have you ever cheated on an exam or taken something that did not belong to you? Have you ever stolen anything? Ever? And people would say, well, you know, does taking a cookie from my mom, you know, from the cupboard count? Yeah, it's stealing. Does fudging the numbers on the tax return count? Yeah, it's stealing. Okay. What does that make you? 
a thief. Well, no, actually it makes you a lying thief because you already failed the first one. So not only are you a thief, you're a lying thief. And then we would ask another question. And we would ask, have you ever taken the name of the Lord your God in vain? And so many people, even people who profess to know God, say things like OMG or oh my God, and they say it and they don't even realize that that's actually swearing. It's taking his name in vain. Have you ever taken the name of the Lord in vain? And people would say, well, yeah, if you put it that way, yeah. What does that make you? They say, I don't know. It's called blasphemy. But it's not just that you're a blasphemer. You're now a lying, thieving blasphemer. It's getting worse, isn't it? And then we would ask another question. Have you ever committed adultery? In our society, almost everybody has. Or as Jesus reminded us, looking at a woman to lust after her is the same as committing adultery in the heart. Well, if you put it that way, yeah, I've committed adultery. So what does that make you? An adulterer. No, it makes you a lying, thieving, blaspheming adulterer. That's where we stand. The point is that the law or the Ten Commandments are like a mirror showing us how sinful we are. The commandments cannot make us fit for heaven. They show us how unfit we are for heaven. We will never be good enough to get to heaven, certainly not based on the law. The Bible says in Romans 3, 19 and 20, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, or we could say by the Ten Commandments, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. God didn't give the Ten Commandments to, make a, to give us a way to heaven. That doesn't get us there. He gave us the Ten Commandments to, to show us that we would be barred from heaven because of our sin. It's the knowledge of sin that we get from the law. And remember, we've only covered four of the Ten Commandments. There's six more to go. Even though we are failing the test, and I'm not going to go through the other six, but even though we are already failing the test, it's often easier for us to see sin in other people rather than to see sin in ourselves. So we compare ourselves to people like Judas or Pilate, and we say, well, at least I didn't do what Judas did. At least I'm not like Pilate. So I've got to be okay, right? I mean, I'm not like those two. Or we say, you know, I'm not as bad as Hitler, or maybe not as bad as Putin, as maybe a more current example today, as he mercilessly attacks Ukraine. When men or women break the law and commit crimes worthy of serious punishment, what happens to them? They're put in jail or into solitary confinement. Some even face the death sentence for their crimes. And as we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew, we learn that there was a man in Israel at this time 
who had committed horrendous crimes. And he was arrested and he was waiting for his day of execution. He was being held for the day of his crucifixion. And his name was Barabbas. Barabbas was a prisoner on death row. And his Bible says, and at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. And again, Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. And then in Matthew 18:40, he was a robber. And so this man, Barabbas, had already been charged with his crimes. He was awaiting, not his sentence, he was already sentenced to death. He was awaiting his execution. He was getting ready to be crucified. He had broken not only God's law, he had also broken the law of Rome. But wait a minute. We just took the good test. And we have also broken God's law. So when we compare ourselves to others, we really are on the same page, aren't we? And so we have to add your name and my name to this list. For the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible also says the wages of sin is death. Death is the punishment for our sin. It's what we earned. It's what we deserved. We, we, the wages of sin. When you go to work and you go to, uh, I, some of you get paid every week. Some of you get paid every two weeks. Some of you get paid once a month. But whatever the time frame is of your payment, you expect that you will get a check. You will get paid for your work. Those are called wages. And if you don't get paid, I think you would make a trip to the boss's office and say, hey, I didn't get my paycheck. I didn't get what I'd earned. I didn't get what I deserved. The wages of sin is death. Are we just as bold coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, you haven't given me what I've earned. You haven't given me what I deserve. I deserve death. But that's the truth of the matter. That's what we deserve. Those are the wages that we have earned for our sin. Barabbas was facing a death sentence. And so the charges against him uh, stemmed from a rebellion conducted by Barabbas and other co-conspirators. He was likely charged with sedition, um, insurrection, and there is some talk of these kinds of charges against those who attacked uh, the uh, Capitol uh, January 6, uh, 2021. Uh, There's some talk right now about those charges being levied against those people who attacked the Capitol. The CSIS website answers the question, what is sedition and insurrection, this way. Generally, sedition is conduct or speech 
that incites individuals, individuals to violently rebel against the authority of the government. Insurrection includes the actual acts of violence and rebellion. And it's actually defined in the Federal Criminal Code, Section 2384, if you feel like doing further study on it, okay? After the February 26, 1993 World Trade Center bombing, I don't, some of you don't remember that because you're too young, but before the towers were brought down by the planes, there had been an earlier bombing. So 2001 was 9-11, that's what we all remember or talk about. But in 1993, the World Trade Center, somebody brought a, a truck full of explosives, parked it in the basement parking lot, and it exploded. Six people were killed, over a thousand people were injured, and there was a terrible destruction of part of the building. It was a terrorist attack. Barabbas was a terrorist in Jerusalem, and he was a co-conspirator in an attempt to overthrow the Roman government, during which he committed murder. The Bible says he was also a robber. He was a thief. And if Barabbas were to take the good test at the Zucchini Festival, he would surely fail. He was a criminal who deserved to be punished by the death penalty. And at the time of Jesus' trial, Barabbas was on death row, as I said, waiting for his crucifixion. Now, we've already looked at the fact that Jesus went through an initial three trials, which were the religious trials. And uh, next, he's handed over to the civil authorities, and he goes through three more trials there. And so Pilate, the first civil trial was before Pilate. Pilate then understands that he might be under the jurisdiction of Herod, so he sends him to Herod, who happens to be in Jerusalem at that time during the, um, the Passover. And so Herod hears Jesus' uh, account, and then Herod says, no, send him back to Pilate, and so this is the third trial before Pilate uh, in order to uh, um, form a final verdict. So what we want to do now is we want to look at all four gospel accounts because they each give us a little different detail uh, than the other. So let's look at them one by one, and then we're going to uh, study those uh, after we do that. So Matthew 27 is our passage for this morning, starting with verse 15. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at the time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? 
But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that the tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's take a look now at uh, the Gospel of Mark 15, starting with verse 6. Now at the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he, would release, he, he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him who you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. We'll turn next to Luke 23, 13. Then Pilate When he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison but he delivered Jesus to their will. John 18, verse 39. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then he all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now there are certain things that stand out to me in these passages, when you look at them together. And the first thing we want to look at um, are the names of the two people that we're looking at. 
The first one, is his name is Barabbas. So most of you know that any name in the Bible that starts with Bar means son of. So Bar, son of Abbas. Abbas meaning not God the Father, but his own father. So he was the son of his father. Most boys are the son of their father. Okay? So it's a fairly common uh, name. Some people, some versions actually have a note in the side margin that say that his actual name was Jesus Barabbas. And maybe that's true, I don't know. Regardless, he was son of the Father. Jesus, on the other hand, is the true son of God the Father. He is Jesus Barabbas, or Baraba, if you want to say it that way. Okay, Jesus Christ is the true son of God the Father. We want to compare the lives of these two men, Barabbas, Barabbas, who knew much sin. If we went through the Ten Commandments, probably broke every one of them. We know that he was charged with the sins of sedition, um, insurrection, rebellion, murder, theft. A man like that who is trying to overthrow the government, what would the name we would give to that, what would be the name we would give to that man today? He is a terrorist, okay? That's what we use, that's the term we use today. He's a terrorist. Jesus, on the other hand, I want, I want you to listen carefully to the questions or to the statements that were made in the passages we read. Matthew 27, Pilate asked, what evil has he done? And then concluded that Jesus was a just person. Pilate, Pilate's investigative summary was, in Luke, I have found no fault in this man. Herod found no fault in him, no crime. It says, neither did Herod, for I sent him back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Pilate's verdict was, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him, in Luke 23. And then we see later in the scripture, in the epistles, Paul said of Jesus, he knew no sin. Peter said, he committed no sin. And John confirmed, in him there was no sin. Jesus is impeccable. He's perfect. There is nothing but holiness in him. There is no sin. The contrast could not be more apparent. Barabbas was a terrorist. Jesus was perfect. He was without sin. He was innocent. Next, I want to look at the injustice of the sentence. Pilate and Herod, the only people who could uh, bring about a sentence, both said, not guilty. Pilate then offered to beat Jesus. What? He was not guilty. Why would you then beat him if he's not guilty? But he offered to beat him and let him go, trying to get Jesus off the hook of this madness. And then he said to them the third time, why, what evil has he done? 
I have found no reason for death in him. Then Pilate caved into the uproar of the people. You know, it's interesting the things that were said in these passages. He knew that the only reason Jesus was there was because of envy on the part of the religious leaders of the day. It says that in two passages. Then his own wife sends a message to him. I'm sure this was never done. Here he is sitting in a court and his wife interrupts the courtroom procession or the courtroom uh, dealings and says, get this note to him now. And the, the note basically says, have nothing to do with this just man. He's a just man because of an alarming dream that she had had. But he didn't listen to that either. Sometimes, brothers, it's good to listen to your wives. This would have been a time when it would have been good for him to listen to his wife. The chief priests and elders stirred up the crowd to demand the crucifixion of Jesus. For what cause? For what reason? There was no sin in him. Pilate attempted to release Jesus and crucify Barabbas three times, but the crowd kept shouting him down. They were instigated by the uh, religious rulers. And the, the cry came out over and over again, crucify, crucify. And that's what they wanted, to crucify Jesus. Pilate saw that any arguments were useless with this crowd, and so he washed his hands and declared that he was innocent of the blood of this just man. The blood of this man. Truly, was he innocent? No, he was not. He should have taken a stand. This was one of, excuse the term, but one of the most gutless things he did. He should have taken a stand for what is right and just and fair. Obviously, this is all part of God's plan. God had foreordained that Jesus would die on the cross. But it doesn't remove the guilt. Washing with water does not remove the stain of sin in uh, Pilate. The crowd shouted that they, should take, that they would take responsibility for the death of Jesus. His blood be on us and on our children. And they do bear the responsibility. Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas and gave Jesus to be crucified. Then Pilate sentenced him to scourging and to crucifixion. And Pilate released a notorious criminal, a terrorist, who had been charged and found guilty of crimes. Jesus, an innocent man, was put to death in the place of a guilty sinner. Barabbas was scheduled for execution, probably on the cross. But Jesus was crucified in his place. I don't know if you remember, a few weeks ago we looked at a passage in John's Gospel, John chapter 11. And I want to read this again uh, to you. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 49. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, 
but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, prophesied. If you remember, I said something like this. How is it possible that a man like Caiaphas could speak the word of God? And I reminded you that one time God used a donkey to do the same thing. So this is true what he's saying. And what he is actually presenting here is the doctrine of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And in our Bible study this morning, we see that Jesus would literally take the place of Barabbas and die instead of him. Now, we preach the gospel. The gospel is good news. We've only seen bad news so far. When we did the good test, all we saw was bad news against us. Every time we would bring out another law, it's more bad news, more death, more punishment, more destruction, more reasons why we should be in hell. And, but we preach the gospel, which is good news, that a holy God who hates sin loves sinners. God is perfectly righteous and must punish our sin with the death penalty it deserves including spiritual, physical, and eternal death. Yet God is a perfect, loving Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If we got what we deserved, we would all end up in the lake of fire for eternity. Just as simple as that. Anybody who denies that does not have a good self-awareness of where they really are or where they stand before God. The penalty for sin must be paid, and it includes death, it includes the shedding of blood. But how can God clear the charges against us in a just way? The answer is found in God's solution to our dilemma, and that solution is the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. I want to go back in Scripture and show you, once again, that God has always had a plan to send a deliverer, to send a substitute, and it is God's way of salvation. Man always looks for another way to save himself. That's why at the Zucchini Festival, when we ask people, uh, are you good enough to get to heaven? They would always say, yeah, I'm keeping God's law. That's the way I'm going to get to heaven, by doing good things. If, I'm, if I do enough good things, they're going to outweigh the bad things. And man always looks for another way to get to heaven, but another way does not work. Substitution is the only way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Many people try to act respectable. Our first parents knew that they were, as soon as they had sinned, they knew they were naked before God. And so they went out and they gathered fig trees and they sewed the fig trees together and hid their nakedness. They, They did that to conceal their shame. But the Bible tells us there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of whom, um, to whom we must give account. God sees right through us. He knows us. We looked at that this morning in the breaking of bread. If God knows everything about us, every deed we've ever committed, every thought we've ever had, he knows it all. 
There's no hiding from God. And we must give an account. Adam and Eve, their outward appearance, their outward efforts to look respectable did not make them acceptable before God. Because God knows that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who does good, no, not one. Since there are no righteous people, and every single person who took the good test at the Zucchini Festival failed, including those who were giving the test, okay, us. Since there are no righteous people and everyone deserves eternal punishment, God instead provided a substitutionary sacrifice for Adam and Eve and for us. So let's take a look at the the cases in Scripture. First of all, there was a substitute for Adam and Eve. God provided a substitute for them to cover their sin. God killed an animal, shed its blood, clothed them with the skins or the tunics of those animals, the tunics of skin, and God illustrated by doing that that an innocent victim must cover their sin and that innocent victim's blood must be shed. Acting respectable will never make us acceptable to God. Well, Adam and Eve sinned. What about their kids? Cain and Abel. Well, we know they sinned too. But Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, were taught that the death of a substitute lamb must cover their sin. Abel came to the Lord with an acceptable sacrifice. He slew a lamb, he shed its blood, he offered that as a sacrifice to God for his sins. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice as a covering for his sin. But he rejected Cain's offering. Cain said, I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't like blood. I'm not going to offer something bloody like that. I'm going to just grow crops and I'm going to gather the good crops from my field and I'm going to offer those to the Lord. They're good, aren't they? That's good enough to get me to heaven, isn't it? He tried to be accepted by God through his own labors, his own good works, not based on faith in what God had said, and God rejected his offering. God will always reject those who seek his acceptance on the basis of their own good works. You'll never be accepted before God on that basis. The way to God is through a blood sacrifice, not human works. Good works, the way of Cain, as we read in the scripture, will never make us acceptable to God. The third is a substitute for the eldest son. One of the most memorable stories in the Old Testament, one that is actually remembered to this day by the Jewish nation, is the story in Exodus where God delivered Israel out of Egyptian slavery. Moses went to Pharaoh and demanded, let, God said, let my people go. And we know the story of Pharaoh waffling back and forth, and there are ten plagues that hit Egypt. Uh, but the last plague was the death of all the firstborn sons throughout the land. But God offered a way of escape. God told his people to take an unblemished lamb for each household, again, to shed its blood, 
to roast it in fire and eat it. Then each family was to take the blood of that lamb and apply it to the doorpost and to the lintel of the house, on the outside of the house. This event perfectly illustrates how a substitute lamb took the place of a person in the home who was condemned to death that night, the eldest son. As I said, the Jewish Passover feast is still celebrated to this day. This event points to the Lord Jesus. The Bible says in the New Testament, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. What does that mean? Christ's blood was shed. His blood was applied on the cross for you and for me. What saved them? It was the blood that was applied and their faith that God would uh, save them uh, because of the application of that blood. Through Christ's death and the shedding of his blood, he took the place of those condemned to die. Who's that? Us. Next, I want to look at a substitute for sinners. The need for a substitute for all sinners was illustrated millions of times throughout the history of uh, the Jews as they brought perfect sacrificial animals as a sacrifice for their sins. The death of the lambs um, that were slain covered their sin but never took it away. The sacrifices were a mere shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and did not simply cover our sins, but he took our sins away. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. A substitute prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah wrote, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with, with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I had an uncle who was a preacher of the gospel. And he would always, when he would come to this passage, he would always say, every time you see the word our, put your name there. Write your name in this passage. He was wounded for Don Robertson's transgressions. Whatever your name is, put your name there. Our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There is no clearer passage of the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross than this. This is as clear as it gets. Interestingly, as we looked a little earlier today, a substitute prophesied by Caiaphas, the donkey. John 11, we already looked at this, so it, but it underscores the truth that the Lord was trying to get across to the people, to the Jewish leaders at that time, about the substitutionary death of Christ. They didn't understand it, but um, it's there in the scripture as plain as day. And then in Matthew chapter uh, 27, we see a substitute for Barabbas. 
Matthew 27, 17. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Can I ask you a question? If your name was Barabbas that day, what would you hope would happen? You were facing crucifixion, cruel punishment on the cross. And the question is asked, who will I release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? Wouldn't you hope that your name was Barabbas in that case? Being released, set free, as if you had committed no crime. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Jesus became the substitute for Barabbas. And Barabbas went free. You say, that's not fair. That's not just. It's not right. All right, let's rewind. Let's go back to the Zucchini Festival. How many of you, had you taken the test at the Zucchini Festival, would have said, guilty as charged. Aren't you on the same side as Barabbas? And the question then comes out again. Who should I release to you? Don? Noad? Joanna? Who should I release to you? Or Jesus? What do you hope is said? We were just like Barabbas, guilty of sin, guilty of crimes against God. The verdict was clear. God's law condemned us. We were sentenced to death, for the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and we are awaiting our execution. Whom do you want me to release? It's as if God is asking that question today. Whom do you want me to release? Do you want me to release you of your sins, to release you of the crimes that you have committed against me and set you free. But if I do that, it means that Jesus must be crucified. And God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the only substitute for your sins and mine. Again, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The good news is that Jesus actually died on the cross for your sins. He shed his blood as a substitute for you, paying for your sins in full. Not one of them is missing from his death on the cross, from the punishment that he took on Calvary. And God resolves our dilemma, as I said, through substitution, through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. God demonstrates, the Bible says, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is just. What does that mean? That God, through his son's death on the cross, 
God satisfied his own death requirement by taking the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died in our place. Now God can offer forgiveness because Jesus shed his blood for you and for me. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God is also the justifier. He righteously justifies or declares you righteous and me righteous when we have faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Because sin's debt is paid. And we say, Lord, I'm not sure exactly how all of that works, but I know you said it. I know that death was required and Jesus died as a substitute for me. I accept that. I accept that as the truth. And I believe that Jesus died for me. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And I fully trust in him as my Lord and my Savior. And we're saved as a result because of what Jesus did for us, not because of goodness in us. Barabbas was set free from the penalty of his crimes under Roman law. He was released from his physical chains and he was set free because Jesus died in his place. Now, I don't know whether Barabbas ever ultimately became a Christian. He was set free from his Roman issues, but in order to be saved from his eternal uh, death, he would have to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder what Barabbas did after that, being set free. What was it like to be a free man, having been this close to eternal destruction? I wonder. At the beginning of the message, we talked about our crimes against God. We have not been arrested. We should be. We are not chained and in prison. But our crimes are obvious in the eyes of God. We, like Barabbas, are condemned to death, awaiting our execution, but Jesus, but Jesus was crucified in our place. He died on the cross and paid a debt he didn't owe. The debt was the penalty of sin that I owed and I could not pay. He willingly died as my substitute on the cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of my sins. And I want to tell you this morning, I believe in him. I trust in what he did for me. And I pray that all of you have also done the same, have trusted in him as your Lord and your Savior. The good news of the gospel that we preach is that your sins can be forgiven. Most of you have already trusted in Jesus Christ. And as we remember what he has done for us, let's praise him as the one who died as our substitute, the one who died in our place, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. You saw us in our dilemma that we were sinners separated from you, and if we had died in that condition, we would have been separated for all eternity. Thank you that you had a plan that involved the salvation of our souls. We are astounded at the cost of that plan being fulfilled, but we are so grateful to you for the Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for our sins. We thank you 
that he is our substitute. We thank you that he is our Savior, and we rest in him. We thank you that he is the one who has brought us back to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.